Today on the podcast, we have Dr. Chris Bounds, professor of Wesleyan Studies at Asbury University. Wesley's understanding of knowledge and understanding isn't just intellectual. How he really understands knowledge is for it to be a means of grace. So that as we learn sound doctrine, it becomes a conduit of the Holy Spirit of God by which we are uh, formed and transformed by it. Welcome to Captain's Corner, a podcast about community, mission, and culture. This podcast is a ministry of the Salvation Army of Tampa, where we exist because we believe every person can be the person God has called them to be. Also, please check us out at tampasa.org and go ahead and give us a follow on Twitter at Sal Army Tampa. And of course, go ahead and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We'd like to take a moment to recognize our sponsors for helping to make this podcast possible. Thank you to RegisterToRing.com and to a very generous anonymous donor. We hope you guys enjoy the episode. Welcome, friends, to Captain's Corner. I'm really glad to be here with my friend, Dr. Chris Bounds, who is the chair of the Department for Christian Studies and Philosophy at Asbury University, in addition to being the chairman of the board for the Francis Asbury Society. He's served as a professor for many years, a preacher, gifted communicator, and somebody who I consider a friend and somebody who I learn a lot from. So, Chris, welcome to Captain's Corner. Good to be with you, Andy. We're at Indian Springs Holiness Camp meeting, which happens in Flowville, Georgia, which was started in 1890. Henry Clay Morrison has preached here more than anybody else. Uh, um, for my Salvation Army friends, uh, Samuel Logan Bringle is here. My grandfather, we could listen to other Salvationists through the years. But it's, it's been this place that God has used in a powerful way. So I'm catching up with a few folks today. I get to catch up with Chris. And I just wanted to just get a sense of Chris has a unique perspective um, being a part of the holiness tradition. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to bring a few of those things up that you might be able to bring some clarity to some of our, I, I find you to be a wonderful teacher of God's word. In addition, and, and you do that while you preach and you combine the two disciplines well. How do you think about that? Like as far as like this, the, the contrast maybe between preaching and teaching, how do you bring those together? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. If you were to talk to my students, I think that you would uh, hear them say, you know, he's a, he's a teacher, but he always ends up preaching. Amen. <laughs> and then uh, if you uh, people hear me preach, uh, they would say that uh, I, I preach, but I always end up teaching. Yeah, and sure. so I end up bringing them uh, together. And really, in the end, the reason why I bring them together is for the goal of being more fully transformed and conformed to the image of, of Christ. Right. So preaching and teaching, while different, yeah. ultimately lead uh, to this end of being further conformed into the image and likeness of Christ. And that's really part of like what you do as an edu- educator, too. I mean, you're, you're, if, you had a, um, if you were in a field, you're in the field of higher education, mm-hmm. and so you're using... You're, you're, like you're not just trying to cram information into somebody's head. Like, okay, you need to make sure to know about the orals or ordo saltus or those type of things. Talk right. about that a little bit. Like, what's the yeah. what's the role of educator? Yeah, yeah. I, I would say it's it's interesting. Uh, the way that I would describe it is that really education, especially as I think about what we do in the school of theology and ministry, is really not about information, but right. it's about formation Amen. and transformation. And I'm always reminded of uh, John Wesley. He wrote a sermon about three years before he died. So it it expresses John Wesley's mature thought. It's called Causes for the Inefficacy of Christianity. All right, say that twice, just because somebody might want to write it down. Causes for the Inefficacy of Christianity. It was written in like uh, 1789. So a later sermon. He died in 1793, is that right? uh, 1791. 
And, um, and so it expresses some sure thought. But the thing is, is that he has a chance to reflect upon uh, why Christianity, even though England, uh, right, Great right. Britain has been immersed, the Anglican Church immersed in Christianity, and yet seemingly uh, people have not been changed and transformed right. uh, by the gospel. So what are the causes of that? Why sure, sure. is the gospel being ineffective? And he says, most people would say it's because of sin, it, right. the, the depravity of the, of the human heart. And that's the reason why there's not change and transformation. And Wesley's going to argue that no, uh, the reason why Christ came and the whole purpose of the gospel is to be a healing balm, Amen. to bring healing and wholeness for the sin sick soul. Then he begins to identify three reasons okay. why Christianity has been ineffective. And the very first reason yes. that he mentions is the lack of sound doctrine. Wow. That people perish for a lack <laughs> of knowledge yeah. and understanding. But Wesley's understanding of knowledge and understanding isn't just intellectual. Right. How he really understands knowledge is for it to be a means of grace. Amen. So that as we learn sound doctrine, it is it becomes it, it becomes a conduit of the Holy Spirit of God by which we are uh, formed and transformed by it. So if you think with me for a moment, um, how many people do we know in our lives who live enslaved with the wrong concept of God? And if they could, by God's grace, grasp in their mind and in their heart who God really is, right. it would set them free. Right. That's Wesley's understanding of, of doctrine. So I teach theology, yes, yeah. but it, I teach it as a means of God's God's grace. And so with the preacher teaching, it's ultimately about being a means, a conduit of the Holy Spirit by which to form and transform people's lives. But I love Wesley. Yes, Three yeah, calls, well, the very first one, you wouldn't think that with Wesley, yeah, sure, because doctrine. Wesley sort of minimized in regard to the issue of, of doctrine. Right, oftentimes, go, I, I want to address that in just a, a second, like uh, oftentimes Wesley, is thought, particularly by other traditions, will look at Wesley as, oh, some field theologian who, okay, he was a good preacher because he didn't produce a systematic theology, right, but right. instead has, you know, standard sermons um, in a variety, and that was how he communicated. So yeah. talk about that a little bit. Is that, is that right? Yes, that's, uh, well, let me say, what, what's interesting here is that uh, really Wesley is a systematic Amen. theologian. Yes. He is. But he is a systematic theologian, not in the modern sense right, of systematic, right. but in the ancient sense. And I'm talking about the early church. And this is your area of study. And this is my area of expertise right? as, as, as well. And so all theology in the first thousand years of Christianity is really pastoral theology. Yes. And so where do you find the theology? It's done in the context of the church. It's right. done for the church. And so you see it in hymns. Right. You see it in creeds. You see it in confessions that are, are used in worship. You see it in common commentaries on, on, on scripture. Right. You see it in sermons. Yes. And so and, uh, Augustine has a coherent account of the Christian faith. I don't think anybody would say that Augustine somehow is not a systematic right. uh, theologian, sure. is not a major uh, theologian. Well, Wesley in the same sense, he is a systematic theologian in sort of that patristic mold right. of it, which is to ultimately do theology uh, for the end of uh, of the transformation of the church to lead and guide people in the way of salvation. As you know, today, a lot of times the way we do systematic theology is one theologian, one academic speaking to another (laughs) academic, and it just becomes purely a rational substantiation of the Christian faith. And and, uh, I would say, at least from our Wesleyan perspective, that's not the ultimate end and goal of theology. It's a transformed life. Yeah, and ultimately looking forward to the transformation of the world. That's right. That's right. The new creation, as Wesley would talk about it, and of course, 
He has a wonderfully nuanced, fleshed out understanding of that very doctrine. Yeah, you know, sure. The, the, the new creation. Now so I would say, oh, just, and, oh I, I, I feel like I should never interrupt you because I'm learning and appreciate your enthusiasm for the subject. I, William Booth is often characterized in the same way. Oh, and, and because Catherine maybe had a little bit more academic and theological vocabulary, that William Booth is kind of put off to the side as, oh, well, he was just a pragmatic person who just got things done and autocrat. But what I, I really felt like when you actually look at the, the sermons of William Booth, you find this really comprehensive understanding of redemption of sanctification and ultimately like what he understood to be the culmination of the ages I mean he had a I, I resist people saying oh he's not into theology because he yes. was doing it for yes. the same purpose and of course uh, William Booth said this great line to, about Wesley he loved Wesley and he saw himself as an extension of the Methodist movement never really wanted to move away from that in any particular way except for like the form that Methodism had become but he, he said to me there was one God and John Wesley was his prophet <laughs> so, oh I love that so you're kind of like quoting I, the I you know, Islamic say too it's the same sure, kind of understanding sure. but I thought that was a unique thing for, the, for how he approached that you, you may know this uh, I was a student I know you studied with Billy Abraham yes and yeah. uh, I studied with a man by the name of Tom Oden wow and, and Tom uh, wrote a book called John Wesley's Scriptural Christianity in which he, his basic argument is that Wesley has a coherent account he has a, a coherent account, a holistic right. account of, uh, of, of his theology out of which he operates in ministry. And so what, um, what Odin does in that book is he lays out from the doctrine of God, yes, uh, the yes. nature and attributes, theological methodology, yes, nature yes. and attributes of God, all the way to eschatology, all the doctrines in between, uh, sort of Wesley's sort of uh, understanding of, of those doctrines. Yeah, he pieces it together. He does. Like, is a three-volume piece uh, now has come out recently? Well, it's actually, a, a, the, you're right, a, the, the doctrinal part is, is three volumes. Okay, gotcha. And then there's a pastoral, and then there's an okay. ethics that's a part of it, three volumes. But it, before it was three volumes, it was a one volume called John Wesley's Scriptural Christianity. So again, Wesley was... A, in many ways, a systematic theologian, yes. but in this patristic sense. Oh, I love that. I mean, I hope you all can write that down and take that down as we think about. What, and now, now, William Booth would not be in that same category. But, but you notice how he brought up a man named Tom Oden. I just, he, this is a person that we can see in, from our time. Of course, it's just, as we say in the Salvation Army, promoted to glory just recently in the last few years. Yes. But yes. he, if you were to look at his, I'll say, scholarly and missional tree, and you're part of that, Chris. Um, there, are, there are amazing influencers mm -hmm. all throughout Thomas Odin's right? And of course, he's the type of person who, I think he called it paleo-orthodoxy. Yes, uh, yeah, that's But nothing new. Like, his idea is like, the, the, I don't want to say anything new. Everything I say, like, I, I want to be as old, uh, as old as the patristic fathers. You probably have heard his story. He had a dream. Go he ahead, he had us, a yeah. near-death experience. And uh, this was in the early, uh, late 80s, early 90s. But he had a... Uh, had a near-death experience, had a heart attack, almost died. Wow! And uh, but as a part of that, he had a, a vision of, of walking through a graveyard, and he yes. comes to his gravestone. Yes. And uh, what was written on the gravestone was he added nothing new to theology. Amen. <laughs> and there was a certain peace that yeah. came to him uh, in, in the midst of the Odin was not about doing anything original or new. Right. His was about. 
uh, articulating that faith that was has been handed down to us. For once that, all delivered to the that's saints. right. Yeah, once yeah. delivered to the saints. Yeah. Oh, I love that the idea. And so, just uh, to to our listeners, you know, when you hear a new take on theology and you, somebody has this creative piece, you might want to just be a little suspicious. Okay, like, let's just, let's just flesh it out. Now, there might be, of course, new ways to say things. That's a, of course, Thomas Oden wrote thousands of pages of books. Oh, yes, It's yes. not like he wasn't being creative. Yes, that's exactly right. But he was trying to help us to understand the wisdom that has been a part of the historic church and then apply it yeah. to our contemporary context. Could you tell me a little bit, obviously, Thomas Oden was a big influence on you. Could you tell us some of the other influencers in your life? Yeah, I, I would say probably the earliest Christian influence in my life was a woman by the name of Alice Ayers. Okay. And the only way that I could describe her is an old holiness woman. Okay. Uh, when I first met her, she was probably in her late 50s and early 60s. That seemed to be really old <laughs> uh, to me at that, uh, at that time. And she took me under her wing okay. and she began to, to disciple me. And uh, one of the things that I, I loved so much about Alice is that she practiced what I would call positive holiness. She really helped me to understand the beauty of holiness. Here was a woman who had started a, uh, a massive uh, feeding and clothing distribution program. Where I grew up in Arkansas, okay. 60, 70 percent of the people live at or below the poverty level, at wow. least when I was growing up. And so this clothing and food distribution, out of the love of Jesus and out of the love of people. And yes. so she got me involved in it okay. because uh, Jesus cares for the poor. Jesus has a heart for the, for the yes. poor. And I remember starting that thinking, okay, I'm going to be doing something that is tangibly pleasing in the eyes of God. Right. And after I'd done that for about three or four weeks, I went to her and told her I absolutely hated it. <laughs> I absolutely hated it because I hated the people I was serving. I did oh not like them. Wow. And I expected her to sort of bash me, you know, shame me, guilt me, yeah. something like that. And I'll never forget her response. This is just typical Alice. Okay. She said to me, well, praise the Lord. Oh my goodness. The Holy Spirit of God is at work in your life, helping you to see that there is a deeper work of grace that He needs to do in you. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Wow. Uh, wow. What and a positive, that positive was a way positive to way to, to, to deal with. You know, it'd be real easy to, you know, have, have shamed me, guilted me. Uh, you know, so to speak, take a spiritual two by four upside my head. Yeah, sure. You know, for, uh, <laughs> That's for, what I because, might have done. Because in some ways, <laughs> I mean, how awful is that? But she began to help me to, to see and to pinpoint these areas of my life that were not in conformity right. to the love of God. Wow. And that, and she began to help me to see that there was a work of grace that God could do in my life yes. that could radically address that in my wow. life. And so Alice was probably my first oh, and earliest that. influence. Uh, yeah, who in who else? Life. Just a quick, quick yeah, name. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, I'm just, uh, well, I'm, I'm speaking to people. I could speak about writers. Yeah, sure. Um, no. But let me speak about uh, David Wrightmeyer. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, at, great uh, friend, yeah. At, at Asbury um, at Asbury University. Uh, I was a, a relatively new believer when I went to Asbury. Right. And uh, I really sat under his teaching. And he was actually a new faculty member at Asbury and sort of took me under wow. his arms. Sure. And, and, and really helped me uh, to understand in deeper and fuller ways, not just the basics of the Christian faith, 
but a holiness of heart yeah, sure. and, and, and life. And again, help for me to uh, to grapple and, and wrestle with the truth. So something that Alice had begun in my life, wow. in many ways, he continued that in my life. And there were other influences that were there uh, at Asbury. Sure. And, and then we could go on to seminary, Al Coppage, yeah. Steve Siemens, oh, huge yes. influences in, in my life. And then, and then Tom Oden. Oh, I love it. But I've had to say people I've read. Okay, yeah, yeah, sure. People I have read that have been very influential in my life. I have to tell you, I was heavily influenced, as was Wesley, although Wesley by way of uh, it... um, it being mediated to him, but uh, Augustine, yeah, sure. I've been yeah, yeah. heavily influenced by uh, uh, Augustine, heavily influenced by uh, people like the a- Athanasius, yeah, sure, yeah. Love. Tertullian, Cyprian, uh, the early church fathers, and Tom Oden is the one who really he introduced brought, me, brought that up yeah, yeah, the patristic fathers. So I'm gonna go back a little bit to what, what you're saying about this this woman, um, Ayers, what was her name? Alice, Alice, Ayers. Alice. And, um, this positive view of holiness and and David Reitmeyer too he he had a similar role in my life you know and I was never his student but uh, he was a salvationist sponsored the salvationist salvation army student fellowship at Asbury I was there and I would particularly while I was in seminary which is a separate institution from Asbury University I would cross the street regularly and and talk through things that I was learning with him and he was a great guy but but he was also one to help me see this positive view this love focused understand love oriented vision of holiness that is not just what you don't do right um and you had i I was able to hear a sermon you preach here at indian springs last saturday night where you brought some real helpful clarity to the idea of the the two functions within maybe i'm using the wrong language but uh functions within love with between the desire and the will could you talk about that a little bit yes yes and and i would say oftentimes when we talk about love uh in the church we don't often define what we mean or or really clarify what we mean maybe at best sometimes we read something like c.s lewis's the four loves right and and we talk about affection and we talk about uh uh, erotic attraction we talk about friendship and then we talk about uh, god's love but there is something that is and i'm going to use more of a philosophical term here essential there's something that is behind all of those loves and um and so from a historic biblical and theological perspective love has been defined as uh, as having two parts right. that go hand in hand one is the desire for union right. the desire for oneness the desire for fellowship with someone or something so that if you love something right. uh, you desire some sort of fellowship or oneness or union with it right. but it's not just desire alone it also requires then for us to make decisions and choices what uh, some theologians would call the alignment of our will with that desire for union so that we actually begin to bring about union. And so this love uh, encompasses something as simple as uh, I love ice cream. Right. And so what does it mean if I say that I love ice cream? It means I desire oneness with it. I desire to eat it. And it means not just that desire. If I really love it, it means I go out and buy it. Right. And, and then actually physically eat it and physically become one right. uh, with it. If I say that I love my wife and children, there's a sense in which what I mean by that I want to be with my children and I want to 
um, and then I make decisions and uh, choices that actually bring about that oneness. Mm -hmm. This is what Jesus means when he says about loving our enemy. We have to come to a place through the power of the Holy Spirit where we desire reconciliation, oneness, restoration of fellowship with our enemy, and then we begin to actively do that, uh, take action to bring about that reconciliation. This is at the very heart of John 3, 16. Yeah, sure. Uh, For God so loved the world. God so desired union with the world. What got in the way of it? Sin got in the way of it. But God aligned his will with that desire. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten uh, son. And then Jesus said, uh, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you desire uh, union and fellowship and to walk with me, you're going to have to align your will with my will. Because if our will is not aligned with with his will, uh, then there is a rupture, disruption. Right. in our relationship uh, with, uh, with him. So desire and will is sort of an all-encompassing understanding of it. And, and I'll, I'll just, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll pause because some people talk about, and please hear me, I do understand in the uh, historic Christianity has understood acts of benevolence. Right. Someone we may not ever see again, but when we uh, do an act of benevolence, there is in that moment a moment of union. Mm where we identify with that person. Right. And then we align our will with that by giving them something. Right. And then not only that, uh, but that act is anticipatory of what we will have Amen. in heaven. Amen. And, and so there is a sense in which I am already uh, bringing about uh, in a small way, anticipa- uh, anticipating Amen. in that small act of union, awesome. the type yep. of union that we will have in, in heaven. And so love is at the heart of ultimate reality. It's at the heart of God, the union that exists between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's at the very heart of the church, our love of God and our love of, of neighbor. I hope we, you all, whoever hears this, can pick up on the depths of what Dr. Bounds is saying, because particularly those who are involved in Salvation Army ministry, when we just last night crossed the Salvation Army world, which is 125,000 people had a place to stay via the Salvation Army's ministry, right? People who might not have other place, people are moving towards uh, restoration in their life. But when we offer that act, Mm -hmm. this is in anticipation of something greater that we believe is coming with our in our world. So here, the little, the little critic, not, not just me, but there might be crit, crit, yes. critics of what you're saying, might say, well, but, but Chris, that's all fine and good to define love that way, but we can't really ever align our will with God. Yeah. We're always gonna be sinners. We're always sinning. We're, or as Luther always is saying, always a sinner. Like, so that's a nice idea, but it's not gonna happen until eternity, right? Yes, if I could use a good, I'm from the state of Arkansas, good, Arkansas expression, I would say, hogwash. Amen. (laughs) Hogwash uh, to that. And this is where, um, again, uh, understanding theology can be incredibly helpful. And uh, oftentimes, especially in our evangelical circles, uh, we take very seriously the deity of Jesus Christ, that, that, that Jesus Christ was and is God. Right. But we oftentimes minimize his full humanity. Right. We minimize his humanity. We might affirm, oh, he's fully human. But then you begin to ask questions like this. Okay, in the incarnation, did the eternal son of God assume a human body? And we would say yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Did he assume a human soul? (laughs) And then people began to scratch their heads. And uh, we just affirm that he is fully human, are you now saying that he is partially human? So what we recognize is that in the incarnation, uh, the eternal Son of God didn't become 
partially human. Right. He became fully human. Right. He assumed a human body, a human soul, a human heart, a human mind, a human will. Right. And uh, the early church fathers understood this in two powerful ways. Uh, the first is this idea that comes uh, really out of the Eastern tradition, but it, uh, you can find it in Augustine, the Western tradition, probably first articulated uh, by Irenaeus, uh, popularized uh, more by uh, Athanasius, and you see it in the Cappadocian Fathers, this Christological concept, the unassumed is unhealed. The unassumed, unassumed is, is unhealed. unhealed. So he assumes our full human nature in order to bring healing and wholeness to our full human nature. So uh, you can see this in 1 Corinthians 15, what makes possible our future bodily resurrection. It is because our Lord Jesus Christ took the human body through yes, death amen. and resurrection. It makes possible right. the, res the future resurrection of our... So our bodies are redeemed by Him taking a body. Made like Him, like Him we rise. Yes. Oh, very good. Sorry. That's right. I just wanted to sing at some point during this interview. Oh, <laughs> well, I love singing because I can't sing. I can't oh, really? I cannot yeah. sing. It's, it's My brother can help you with that. Yeah. He could. Yeah, yeah, he could. He's tried to help me <laughs> on more than one occasion. And uh, may he continue to, to do that. Sorry to interrupt your, your no, no, here, but, but like we we fought so if if jesus like this is the same idea too like um don't mean to just throw out too many names but like um the idea that the there's a, a savage army author who's had a book called the man perfectly filled with the spirit yes. talking about jesus yes. living in life spirit and of course that's similar to moltmann's idea of a spirit christology yes. that there is a sense that if jesus went in the same direction we too by the power of the spirit can do the same thing it doesn't mean we're jesus no no that's but that, that's exactly. eternal son of god but if you think about if you think about the fall mm -hmm. our fundamental problem with the fall wasn't with our bodies Interesting. It was with our souls. There was something that happened with desire and will mm. in the fall. So there was an internal fall mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that took place. Uh, and it just was made manifest in the outward act of disobedience. But there was something internally that took place. So our, our principal problem has to do with something, not our bodies, but with our, our souls. Right. And so he has to assume that in order to bring healing and wholeness. So that's one part of it. But there is the second part of it. And the second part of it is the idea of Christ as the second Adam. Yes. You know, uh, we come into this life as a result of the fall rooted in the first Adam. Right. So his disobedience, his selfishness, uh, there's a sense in which we participate in that because we are in the first Adam. But Christ, in his full humanity, succeeds where the first Adam failed. Yes. So that, uh, through the Holy Spirit, we are brought in union right. with the humanity of Christ. So that his humanity of obedience and the love of God and the love of neighbor is lived out in us. And so we are identified through the Spirit and through the power of the Spirit with the second. So this idea of uh, the unassumed is unhealed right. and this idea of the second hand, that's what makes possible awesome. this life of love. So that my... We can. We, our hearts, can, our, our wills can be aligned. That's right. Well, you know, I, I can, uh, my, my desires can be changed and transformed. Amen. And my will can be empowered mm, so that I can walk in that type of union through the power of the Holy Spirit, uniting me with the humanity of Christ. This episode of Captain's Corner is brought to you by an anonymous donor who loves the ministry of the Salvation Army and RegisterToRing.com. RegisterToRing is the simple way to sign up to ring bells at the Salvation Army. 
Ringing Bells is a cherished holiday tradition, and Money Raise goes directly to help people in need in your community. To volunteer to ring in your community this holiday season, go to registertoring.com to sign up today. You can sign up as an individual or a group. Just go to registertoring.com. And let me just add that in Tampa, this has been a blessing to have Register to Ring in place. We've had a great expansion of our volunteer efforts because of Register to Ring. So check that out today. And our thanks to these sponsors for their help in producing Captain's Corner. There is, uh, in the Salvation Army, our article of faith on this has gone, uh, is consistent with the Methodist New Connections language from the 19th century that after, you know, of course, Methodist New Connection came around after John Wesley died. There was like various groups that came around. That's what William Booth was a part of. So when he developed his own articles of faith, he pretty well just took right from the Methodist New Connection. But our statement goes like, it says this, we believe it's the privilege of all believers to be wholly sanctified, that their whole spirit, soul, and body can be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So it's like, it's a similar idea. Yes. Um, and I love of, it. First Thessalonians 5. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, body, soul, our full humanity. Right. Body, soul, and spirit. Yeah. Fits into this, this same idea. Now, um, so what do you think of that statement? Do you think that that articulates well? Uh, uh, the, like, so we say we believe it's a privilege of all believers to be wholly sanctified. We believe this is an act, something that can happen. A- absolutely. What I love even more about it, and this is the reason why I identify with the holiness movement okay. in a way that uh, I, 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 it somewhat distinguishes me from larger Methodism okay. and the larger Wesleyan tradition. You know, you are just, just I'm United Methodist. You are United Methodist. Yes. Yeah, right. I, I'm an ordained minister, ordained elder, okay, Arkansas gotcha. Conference okay, of the gotcha. United even Methodist even uh, a Church. But um, uh, where mainstream Methodism is today is really to see uh, this being sanctified holy right. as, as, as something that is really in many ways the exceptional Christian life. Right. And in other words, it's not the normative Christian life. Right. It's something that maybe after you've been following Jesus for a lifetime, you might actually experience it just before you die right, or sure. at the point of death. Whereas in our holiness tradition, what we believe, and this is where I'm in full agreement with the Salvation Army, is that we understand this being fully sanctified uh, is the normative Christian life. This is the life that God desires. And not only desires, it's what God makes possible through the life, death, resurrection, and exaltation of Jesus Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to be able to live this life out as the normative Christian life. So this it isn't the exceptional Christian life. Right. It is the privilege right. of every believer. Everybody has. That's right. We've said, uh, we've come up at, with the Salvation Army in Tampa. We've started to identify ourselves as the, the Tampa Salvation Army Church, and we came up with this statement that we felt could unify all of our work, including all of our work with people who are going through drug and alcohol treatment from those who are coming in and out of our, not just in and out, but coming into our Red Shield Lodge. We have 120 people who are moving to the street to their feet, but also our work in discipling believers. We, so we say we believe, we exist because we believe every person can be the person God has called them to be. Yes. We exist because yes. we believe every person can yes. be the person God has called them to be. Absolutely. So what we're saying by that is the same thing with the Salvation Army's 10th Article of Faith and what you've been saying this whole time. Absolutely. Is that we believe every, that everybody can get to that place and God has called you to be holy. Yes. 
Yes. Amen. Oh, there Amen. you go. Sorry, Amen. I got into preaching and, too. Well, I know that's the, the grandeur and the glory of this salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. Yeah. So uh, real quick, I, maybe my last question would be, what do you see are some of the dangers for the Wesleyan holiness movement? What are things that we might need to avoid or what some of the pitfalls that can yeah, come our yeah. way? Well, uh, let me say this. I, I could go into what are some have been some of our historical problems. Right, sure. And, and, and we have some historical problems. Um, it's real easy uh, to become pharisaical. Right. Uh, because oftentimes what we want to do is to define what this holy life is uh, in great detail, as right. opposed to just sort of, you know, generally defining it and allowing it to be made manifest yeah, sure, concretely sure. in particular lives. Uh, we have this uh, natural tendency to, to want to define what that is going to be uh, to, uh, to, to the greatest detail. Yeah. And so what we end up doing is we end up coming up with a, a bunch of rules. Right, sure. And then what we end up saying is, is that if you keep all right, of these sure. rules, uh, then you're holy. Right. And it's our natural tendency because oftentimes when we think, have I been entirely sanctified or, or not? Uh, we want something concrete to sort of hang our hat on right. and to know that we're, and, and so we, we, we do that. But the problem is, is that that can just easily become Pharisaicalism. Right. Yeah, yeah, becoming yeah. A, a Pharisee. The Pharisees, the problem with the Pharisees, they were actually able to do. Right, sure. The, the, their problem wasn't with will. Their problem was with their hearts. Wow. And, and so yeah. again, heart and will together. And so you can have something that looks like love. Yeah. You do all of these things. But you do it for the wrong reason. So right. compare and not be not be loved. So at, at times, what we've done is reduced holiness. I mean, these yeah, are problems in, in in the past. I don't generally think. Uh, it, 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 maybe there are parts of our holiness. There are parts of our holiness tradition that still struggle with with with, with legalism. Right. Um, a, another uh, danger in um, in uh, in our Western holiness tradition is that uh, we get preoccupied actually with sin. Now, uh, we want to take sin very seriously, but this life that we're called to live isn't just being freed from sin. As a matter of fact, you can be freed from sin mm -hmm. and still be living in unholiness. Yeah. Because the, the purpose of being set free from sin is to be set free too. Amen. Which is to, to love from, God and, 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 and to love neighbor. And this to is truly be set free from those things. Oh, I'm sorry yeah. to interrupt no. you. Like I've had some, so we've, we've had some speakers, like for instance, probably a friend of yours, uh, Dr. Bill Yuri, others, um, John Oswald, have gotten well known in the Salvation Army circles. And I've had a few people who have come to me and say, well, I'm, I, I think they're talking a little too much about sin, too much. Yes, yes. But the, the people will miss the fact that this is a course direct, and now nobody's being particularly critical of those, but I think yeah. from the Salvation Army, as sometimes when there's a resistance to the holiness movement, tradition, yes. Yes. we can feel that way, we can sense that that's maybe a problem we want to avoid because we want to be outward focused, but it's when this our heart is renewed in the image of God and we're moving in direction, this then leads us to the activities God's called us to do in the world on his behalf. Yes, well, and, and again, sometimes when we get, and, and please hear me, we want the problem of sin, and I do, I believe in being Amen. set free from the power and the nature of sin, being sanctified right. holy. Uh, but why? In order to be set free to love. Yes. Uh, but sometimes what happens is, is that we can be so preoccupied with sin and individual sin, it becomes narcissistic. Wow. It, it, again, it becomes yeah. navel-gazing yeah. so that we are constantly uh, uh, examining every motive, every, every thought yes. we're trying to find. Every, and, and again, instead of being outwardly focused, 
if we're not careful, it becomes navel gazing and it becomes narcissistic. Right. If, if, if you just focus here and you, and you forget that the purpose of why we have been set free from sin is, is to love. If we lose yeah. sight of that, it is to be set free for others. Well, I know I have to, I'm loving every second of this, Chris. I appreciate your time. I would, we don't have time to talk about Francis Asbury Society or even more about Asbury University. But look, if you've enjoyed this conversation, this is a person who teaches at a school, I think you might want to consider sending your kids to. And I just uh, encourage you, Chris, we just appreciate the work that you do, the scholarly work you do in getting into these this discipline of theology and how you help translate it to our world. Is there any way people can follow you or know, or you have a book that's come out and I know you have some other things that are coming out in the future? Right, right. I I do have probably more. I I have a book called Unholiness uh, that that has come out. Um, Some of the other stuff, uh, I... There's another book. I can't even remember the name of the, the, the book that I collaborated with a, a group of people. Uh, I I, I don't know that page. I have anything really to, to say, but if you're interested, if you were to YouTube, Chris, okay. yeah, Chris Bounds or Christopher Bounds, or you were to uh, Amazon, yeah, you know, sure. uh, Chris Bounds or Christopher Bounds, it, it would sure bring, people it, want to hear more. It, it, it would bring up things that yeah. I've either uh, said or things that I've, uh, I've written. Well, thanks for your time, Chris. I know we have to, here at Indian Springs, you have a 9.30 meeting, 11 meeting, 11 o'clock meeting, 3 o'clock meeting, and a 7.30 meeting. Yes. So, and all of these are outdoors in central Georgia. So, And um, I love it. I love it. I love the heat. <laughs> so we appreciate your time, and we pray God will continue to use you as we know he is uh-huh. um, through your work as, as preaching and writing, your scholarly work, and your work in helping students experience this transformative grace that can help them love God with all of their heart, soul, and mind, and their neighbor as themselves. Well, may the Lord do that. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Captain's Corner. Next week on the podcast, we will have Julie Slattery, president of Authentic Intimacy. If you'd like to learn more about us, please feel free to check us out at tampasa.org and give us a follow on Twitter at Sal Army Tampa. And of course, go ahead and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next time.